Good Enough Mother podcast. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist and a mother, and my mission is to change how motherhood is culturally defined and individually experienced. I want women who are mothers to feel supported, empowered, held, revered, and respected. I have discussions here with experts and changemakers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. You're listening to episode number 48, the festive season as the arena for the perfect mother myth. If you are listening to this as it is released in 2020, you do still have access to the 2020 prices for my motherhood studies certification. We will be starting another round in April 2021. You can head to my website to find out more about the practitioner certification at drsophiebrock.com forward slash motherhood studies. And I am also running a three month long anger course. It is Bloom, Growing Through Maternal Anger, and in its immersive experience of the course. It's running over January, February, and March, and you can find more details about that at drsophiebrock.com forward slash Bloom hyphen course hyphen immersion. Now, what I'll be talking about today is relevant specifically to this time of year that we find ourselves within you know, the December, January period, the festive season, the time of year which is going to be quite different for many of us this year in 2020 compared to how it may have unfolded in past years for us. But I think and I hope that some of what I share in the episode today is going to be relevant for you regardless of when you do listen to this episode. Because I'm talking about the way that certain periods of time can bring up intensified emotions for us as mothers, but also intensified pressures. This festive season can inevitably bring more pressure, more expectation, and with that also comes more intense feelings of both gratitude and joy, as well as of sadness and of grief. And often it's the physical and mental load of this period that is carried by mothers um, in organizing families, organizing communities. And it can feel like a lot, particularly at the end of what has been a really tough and challenging year for many. I'm talking about this period of time in the context of the perfect mother myth, because it is actually a place in which the perfect mother myth plays out in an intensified way. So let me explain what I mean by that. Um, To remind you of what the perfect mother myth is, this is the driving motivation for me in putting out these podcasts and in starting my business and in working with mothers and people who support mothers is to call out what this myth is, what it means for us as women, mothers, families, communities, and the ways that we can start to push back against these expectations and to ultimately create social change. Um, And so I like to talk about the perfect mother myth as uh, using the analogy of the fish tank. And so if we were to think of the fish tank as being represented representative of our society and where are the fish inside the tank as the individuals within that society and we're kind of swimming around living our lives not necessarily knowing that we're within the tank to begin with but when we look around us we see plastered on the tank what constructs the tank is a whole bunch of expectations and shoulds and this can be relevant well beyond motherhood looking at all different types of social experiences, but I'm talking about this in the context of motherhood. To look up at that tank and see all the things that are attached to the label of being a mum. And a way for you to understand and unravel how this looks for you specifically is to think about 
all of the things you think it takes for um, a mother to be classified as a good mum or a perfect mum. And so some things on the tank will be, for example, that mum is self-sacrificing. She puts the needs of everyone else before her own needs. That she enjoys motherhood fully, that she never feels angry, that she's not frustrated by her children, she doesn't feel resentment. She holds everything together. She remembers everything. She carries the mental load. She looks a particular way. Usually the perfect mum is white and middle class and heterosexual and married, you know, within a nuclear family setting. She doesn't have additional needs. Her children don't have an additional any additional needs. So there are lots and lots of ways and I could go on and on. Um, but hopefully you get the picture here that there is a particular construction of motherhood that is held up on a pedestal for us to supposedly strive towards. And it's something that we're socialized into understanding and striving towards well before we become mothers ourselves. The social construction of motherhood is something that is present and that we become immersed in simply by existing within our society. And the tricky thing can be that in separating out this internalizing of this perfect mother myth from our own values, that can be really difficult when our values are created based on the social context we find ourselves within. Um, And the other thing to say about this is that everyone else, so people who are not mothers, you know, and our partners and friends and other family members, for example, also have grown up and live within a society and culture that has taught them the social construction of motherhood and what it means to be a perfect mum. So we not only can feel intensified pressure um, on ourselves and judgment of ourselves, but we also feel it from others as well. And that's why motherhood is so often an experience that's laced with shame and with guilt, because we're constantly trying to live up to these externalized standards, which are actually not based on reality. They're not based on the real experiences of women who are mothers. And the perfect mother myth is unattainable. You know, she's an illusion. Um, Anyone who we've put on a pedestal as meeting the requirements of what it means to be a perfect mum, we're not seeing the full picture for them. And even if we could achieve this level of supposed perfection for ourselves and for our families, that ultimately would not be serving them and it would not be serving us either. I've talked about this more um, in other episodes and in my courses, if you would like to dive deeper. But the reason why I'm setting that out at the beginning of this episode is to say the festive season and Christmas and family celebrations is an intensified arena for the perfect mother myth to play out. So if we go back to that analogy of the fish tank, the constructing our experience, you know, we're the fish inside that tank and we're surrounded by this social context. It's almost as if we turn on floodlights into the tank when we have a social gathering and kind of the celebration um, in a socially and culturally defined way, as many of us do around this festive season at the end of the year. And so what it can mean is that our motherhood is put on show, that our motherhood is under more intense scrutiny than perhaps it already has been. We can feel more pressure, more obligation, more expectation. There are greater shoulds And so if we're trying to challenge the cultural construction of motherhood outside of this context, that means challenging the shoulds. But then when we enter a time of the year like this one, there is 
even more shoulds that we contend with. We have not only the load that we usually carry in our mothering, but we also have the load to create magic, you know, to be the one to pull everything together, to instigate and create and keep going ritual. Um, And there is so much that we juggle. And so I want to give voice to some of that in this episode around the mental load that we're carrying and the emotional labor, but also uh, wanting to preface that by saying that I recognize that in many ways we we do this because we perceive that we want to. Uh, we hold in our minds that the reward or the payoff for doing this work and for carrying this load is the happiness of our children and our family. Um, I, I also think what's a factor but perhaps is less uh, recognized is feeling a sense of control. Um, so there can be satisfaction in feeling as though we're doing it all and to to feel as though that this is us orchestrating this and not to put a moral lens on that particularly, whether to say that that is right or wrong, but to just notice it if it's a factor for you. And to also recognize that being the one to do it all and carrying it all, it comes at a cost. And I think that most of us already know that without it needing to be clearly spoken, but it's not often clearly spoken. And so I want to give voice to some of that It also means that when we're in an environment where there is high stakes and high expectations, that there is a greater height to fall from as well. Um, And so this means that if we are working and and doing all the things and remembering and doing the preparation and, and everything else that it may entail for you in your life at the moment, it also means that when there is ingratitude or chaos or things don't go to plan, which they inevitably won't, Um, or if we're on the end of a snide remark or a comment, or somebody forgets something where it was their only responsibility, right? Um, We can feel let down, we can feel resentful, and we can feel out of control in a way that feels really burdensome. And it can be really hard. It can be really, really difficult when we feel as though we've put in so much work and effort and it's not recognized or it's not valued. And I think that this speaks more broadly to some of the challenges that many mothers feel and experience in that our motherhood and our mothering often isn't even seen as work in our society and it's not compensated and it's not valued as much as it should be either. And so the advice I think that can sometimes be given in talking about the mental load and particularly the heightened nature of it around this time of year is to just lower our expectations and to offload and to delegate. And I give this advice too. I think that it's helpful and it can be a good reminder. But I also think the other side to this is that it's not quite as easy as it sounds. Um, Maybe you don't want to do it all, but maybe you feel as though you don't have any choice. Maybe you've had those conversations around offloading and people don't pick up the slack. Um, Maybe your partner isn't taking on their load of planning or maybe in organizing and asking and reminding your role as coordinator of all of this is just intensified and it can sometimes just feel easier to get on and do it ourselves. And so I want to speak to this because I think it's another way that actually the mental load continues because it's invisible and it only becomes visible when we step back and stop doing things. And there's usually a cost to that and that can be uncomfortable to sit with. And for many of us, um, particularly when it comes to our children and their perceived happiness or well-being, we we want to be able to fulfill that for them and we want to be able to keep going and to hold it together and to do it all. 
but it often means that then the holiday season is not a holiday for women. And for those who are not mothers and fathers, for example, if they engage in emotional labor or even practical labor in terms of preparation and organization, it also means that they can be over-rewarded for that and that can even lead to more resentment or frustration from us. And also the recognition that it may come at others having to give up some of their privileges or comfort in having things done for them. And it also won't likely always come naturally or easily for them because they're not, they've not been socially conditioned into it. And so some of the things that I'm referring to when I talk about the mental labor in the context of this festive season is budgeting, buying presents, thinking of presents to buy, knowing who to buy for, making the grocery list, making guest lists, uh, recognizing and catering for dietary requirements, thank you cards and presents, travel arrangements, spare clothing for kids, packing nappy bags, decorating the tree, finding a tree, you know, in the garage or buying a tree. Um, dealing with ex-partners and tense dynamics within familial relationships, the wrapping of presents, um, the making up of the spare bed with people coming to stay, the load in navigating that, the extra cleaning involved. Um, also the way that actually doing tasks like this and taking on this extra load inevitably in some way requires us stepping back from other parts of our life. Um, so it's also about what we're not able to get done because we're immersed in and busy doing all of these other things. Um, I also want to kind of highlight specifically um, the challenges that many mothers I've spoken to can face around this time of year um, in nap time, for example, with their children and inevitably dealing with the challenges that come when our children are overstimulated or missing naps or not eating regularly. Also, the emotional space that we're holding, not only for our kids and kind of keeping a tab on where they're at, keeping a finger on the pulse of their energy and responding to that, um, adapting to that and preempting that as well but also holding emotional space for others, um, family or friends or those in our community who are lonely, isolated, you know, with all of the challenges this year has brought for so many, um, those who are fa facing financial hardships, those who are navigating challenging dynamics between family members, also trying to help our children in creating and fostering connection with others, with family that they may not have seen often, um, in not being able to see family that they are expecting to. And I think the holiday season just really amplifies how different the expectations are for mothers compared with everyone else, for what mothers are expected to carry and hold and support when others don't have that obligation. And we've got that for everyone else. And then, of course, we have the holding of emotional space for ourselves and our own inner world and the challenges that we may be individually carrying and dealing with as well. So one way that I would like to frame this to perhaps just offer some validation or, or affirming for where you may sit with this experience is to recognize that there is a pressure and an expectation that mothers carry increased stress themselves in order for others to relax. So holiday seasons can often mean the mother is carrying an increase in her load in order to decrease the load for others. And without necessarily 
going that next step in advocating for a change and talking about how we can start to shift this, I think it's really important to just recognize it, to just give voice to that, to speak it and for others to hear it, to recognize that actually the experiences that they've been afforded were created with intention. And I seen somebody else talk about this in the way that, you know, Santa kind of gets all the credit, doesn't he, for making the magic of Christmas when it's usually a woman, it's usually a mother that is behind that magic. And so perhaps a provocative question to pose that we could sit with is joy and contentment and time and energy taken from mothers in order for it to be given or created for someone else. And I think our answer to that will really depend on our individual circumstances and what we individually find joy and fulfillment in. Because I fully recognize too that actually that experience of creating a type of magic for our children and families can also be incredibly rewarding and fulfilling. And this sense of giving to others can be a giving to ourselves as well. So speaking to that and at the same time saying that we have been socialized as women and as mothers into associating a giving of ourselves with that being part of our purpose, to give and give and give. And sometimes to the point where we don't even know what we actually want or desire anymore. And so I think that it can be helpful to just remind ourselves of this and question where we sit with day-to-day tasks as well as um, broader plans for giving and creating and doing to think about how we relate to that um, and to notice if our giving is coming at the sacrifice and depletion of ourselves in a way that leaves us feeling resentful or hurt or exhausted. Connected to this is the suppression of emotions, um, along with the holding of emotions that I've mentioned when it comes to the festive season particularly, but even, of course, more broadly in our experience of motherhood. And particularly after this year of 2020, there has been a lot of of holding of emotional space um, and of grieving and of connecting, but also of disconnection as well, right? So I think that it can be useful for us to have a pause, to recognize that, and to know that we cannot be expected to keep going and going and going and start a brand new year off from a place of total depletion and exhaustion without giving ourselves any space or grace or compassion in being able to notice that and tend to the feelings that we may be having, that we may have arise in that context. I also want to highlight the way that the festive season can be almost like a stage that we perform our family on. And so this is actually adapting a theory by Irving Goffman uh, and his theory of the performance of self. And he talks about the way that we have a front and backstage and how we perform on the front stage is around our social interaction with others. Um, thinking of the analogy of you know the waiter going out and performing their job and then they go back into the kitchen and that's the backstage arena and they can be a different version of themselves in that backstage. And so how we act, how we perform and how we present ourselves will depend on what context we find ourselves within. 
And this is really relevant for motherhood in in lots of different ways. And I spoke about this in the episode I did on um, the mask of motherhood. But when it comes to the festive season, what it means to perform and display our mothering, it's kind of at a higher stake around the festive season and celebrations where we're interacting perhaps with um, parts of you know family or social connections that we may not see that often. And so how does our performance of good mothering come into play at this type of year? And how does that actually increase the stakes, so to speak, um, and the pressure and the shoulds that we feel? And so something we can be mindful of is noticing when we're on stage and when we're behind the scenes, noticing that it's very likely going to be the case that at Christmas time, we're performing to a certain degree on a platform. And you can see the literal performance of this through social media as an example. And again, not to say that we're saying or judging this as right or wrong, but it's just noticing it and recognizing the way that family is constructed even through things such as, you know, matching pajama sets, for example, um, family photos in front of the Christmas tree. Those are all ways for us to tell ourselves and tell the world a message around our family connections and our relationships and how they're formed. And so I want to give voice to and recognize the challenges that can arise when you're somebody who doesn't necessarily fit that norm. Um, When you're somebody who you may yearn to experience a certain type of relationship or family life, but that's not playing out for you for whatever reason at this point in your life, and it may not have been something you're actively choosing, uh, but sometimes the intensified performance of the kind of heteronormative family at Christmas time and other points of time in our culture can be quite confronting. And so this can be if you're a newly single parent, um, if you experience any type of domestic violence, if you have a history of trauma, if you have res- estranged relationships with your parents, your family. It can also be really challenging for those who are trying to conceive but are not able to for whatever reason. Um, lots of different variations for this. And so just for us to keep that in mind um, and to recognize the varied experiences and also the challenges that come along with this time of year around family relationships and grief and pain, Um, who we are around physically as well or have connections or uh, interactions with at this time of year can also bring up a lot of stuff from our past. So there can and there will be tensions within families because that's how family dynamics work. And a coming together can mean bringing those relational tensions together. So being around somebody who you have memories with from your childhood will probably in some way bring up those childhood experiences for you. Um, Being around people who you grow up with, but who may have gone on to live a very different life uh, to what you're currently living can cause us to reflect on our own past and where we're currently at in our lives. That can bring up a lot of feelings. Um, Some people who you interact with now will know a past version of you. They don't have intimate knowledge or understanding of you now as an adult or as a parent. And so that may lead to you feeling misunderstood or not seen. Being around those who interacted with you as a child, who now interact with your own children, could also be really triggering depending on your relationships there. Um, As can being part of or exposed to conversations or patterns of interaction that you don't normally um, have exposure to within your social circle that can feel confronting um, or aggravating. So there are many different manifestations of this and 
um, I'm highlighting the kind of problematic or challenging ones here, but to be conscious of these examples and how this may show up for you in recognizing that while challenging, these types of experiences can also be a way to affirm our own values, to invite us to question our sense of self and our value and where we belong and the connections that we have made or would like to make in our lives. And challenging interactions can also be a catalyst for us to to do some inner work in perhaps even shifting some of our beliefs or to opening our perspectives for other ways of thinking and being. So as you go into this festive season or wherever you currently find yourself in your life when you're listening to this, I would love to just offer you a thread of connection to hold on to around knowing how valuable you are, how worthy you are outside of anything that you do or perform in your motherhood, to know that it's okay to cut corners where it feels good for you. It's okay to ask for help and that that's actually a gift for other people too because when we ask for help, we also give those people permission to ask for help back. And when we release ourselves from certain obligations, we also set up an example for others to be able to release themselves as well. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your food without guilt. Let someone else get up and get the sauce. If your brother or your partner is sitting on the couch with a drink, what would it feel like to go and sit next to them and invite some humor in to suggest that someone else might like to help clean up? Um, Little things like this, I think, can be acts of resistance that we can cultivate in our everyday in a way that's not necessarily confrontational or disruptive, but it's just planting seeds. Because otherwise the default is, is that we, we do it all, you know, and we continue doing it all. I also want to say that however we act or feel or manage, we also are setting up models for our children. And so rather than to see that as a burden, to see that as a real strength in knowing that actually valuing yourself and the work that you do also sets up an example for your children to see that you are valuable, that domestic labor is valuable, that care work is valuable, and that actually our self-worth and our worthiness as a person does not depend on how much we do. We've been socially conditioned as women, but especially as mums, to equate our worthiness with our motherhood. So how good of a person are we? Well, how good of a mother are we? How good of a mother are we? Well, we'll look to those social shoulds, right? We'll look to other people basically to tell us in one way or another. And this relates to the pain as well that women can feel when they are not able to or choose not to become mothers because our worthiness as women is equated with our status in motherhood. And It's almost like we aren't a fulfilled and a complete woman until and unless we become mothers. And that's really problematic, not only for those who aren't mothers, but for those of us who are mothers as well. Our worthiness isn't earned and it isn't performed through meeting the expectations that our society has set for mothers. And this whole dynamic is intensified at Christmas during special celebrations because our mothering is put on a platform. It's put on the stage. It's seen as part of a performance. And this can also make it so difficult in mothering, the actual mothering of our children, because it also means that our children are put on 
a stage. You know, what does it mean to be a good mother? Well, what does it mean to be a good child? What does it mean to be well behaved? To use your manners, to say thank you and please, to not be too loud, to be quiet, to sit down for the whole meal. What does it mean to be a breastfeeding mother? To be a bottle feeding mother? You see that these types of stereotypes and boxes as well can really come out so strongly at times of community connection and social interaction because they've come from social creation and we like to be able to put people in boxes because we can therefore feel as though we can make meaning from them and that provides us some sense of comfort if we're able to put somebody into a box. So just recognize that if you're on the receiving end of that, that It can be seen as a reflection of the broader patriarchal institution of motherhood, even though it feels intensely personal at times. But to reclaim any sense of agency that we can in these experiences and to know that our worth is not measured by someone else's behavior, our children's behavior included, um, and our worth is certainly not measured by how someone else judges us or our children. And if we enmesh ourselves and our worth and our identities with how we perform and how we judge ourselves as performing or how our kids are behaving or how others appreciate us or not, then this can only really set us up for disappointment because it can leave us grasping for our sense of self, a sense of worthiness, a sense of validation from others. And even when we get it, it's only temporarily fulfilling, isn't it? Because we give up so much and we want to see a return on that, rightly so, but ultimately it can mean that we're constantly chasing that. And when we're constantly chasing that, then we're never fully present, are we? Because we're always living with a foot in the future um, or with a foot in the past because we're judging ourselves for what we may have or may not have done. And so how I would like to finish this episode is to ask you to reflect on the way that giving to yourself is a gift to your family, that you can challenge and rewrite the scripts of what this time means for mothers through reclaiming of your own desires and wishes and wants, and even just speaking them, just naming them, and just knowing that your purpose here is not to constantly serve and deplete yourself in service for everyone else. And what a gift it would be to our kids to see their mums content and rested and fulfilled and happy. What a gift to them to be able to be present with them when they enjoy this day that we've had such a big part of creating for them. But we can't do that. We can't be there for them when we're constantly distracted and consumed and in disconnection with ourselves. And that comes from trying to live up to all these expectations of everyone else that we both feel as judgment, but that we have also internalized. And so we can start challenging that within ourselves. We might not be able to do it externally yet, and we need social change to happen. Absolutely. But let's reclaim what we can for ourselves in our motherhood, for both us and for our families. And let's recognize that it can actually feel really good to give to yourself in the same ways that it can feel really good to give to others. And so I'll leave you with this and I'm wishing you all the very best for the end of 2020 in what has been such an incredibly challenging year. And I hope that even through taking the time to listen to this, while you've probably been doing other things as well, that you have felt a sense of validation and affirmation and connection and value in the work that you're doing as a mother. 
I want to say thank you for your time in listening to this podcast episode and in other episodes if you are a regular listener of the Good Enough Mother podcast. I recognize how much so many of us have on our plates um, as women, as mothers, as people who are working in the space of motherhood support. And I think it's an absolute privilege to have the opportunity to connect with you in this type of quite intimate way um, through podcasts and, and having conversations with incredible people in the motherhood space. And I really hope that it has provided a sense of value for you, um, a sense of being anchored into something and to know that you are certainly not alone in the many challenges that motherhood can bring, but also in seeing the potential and the possibility and the way that mothering can be such a catalyst for our own growth and exploration. And so I really hope that you hear that, that you receive that, and that you'll join me for my episodes coming up next year. I have some incredible guests lined up, which I am really excited to share with you. If you found this content valuable, I would love for you to please consider leaving the podcast a review so that I can start to reach more people with this content. And of course, reach out to me through social media or email if you would like to connect further. I will see you back here. January 18th will be the next episode and I'm wishing you all the very best for the end of 2020. I hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. If you're a mother who would like to take these conversations further, consider joining my private membership group, Liberated Motherhood. Or if you're somebody who works with mothers, then check out my Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification. You can find more details about these at my website and reach out and connect at drsophiebrock.com.